Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and guys, we got a good one today. Um, I cannot express just how incredibly excited I was to sit, be able to sit down and talk to today's guest. Um, him and five other incredible athletes just completed the very first self-powered row of the Drake Passage. And if you've never heard about the Drake Passage, we get into it in the episode, but basically it is the um, stretch of ocean between Cape Horn, which is the southernmost tip of South America, to the Antarctic Peninsula. And the team battled across the coldest, the roughest waters on Earth, 24 hours a day, taking 90-minute shifts, uh, three on, three off, 90 minutes, on and on and on and on. Um, and the Drake Passage is a notoriously ferocious stretch of water known to rattle even the toughest ocean experts. And I mean, there's so much this this episode goes into, but when it when it gets into just taking on a once in a lifetime adventure, facing fear, staying in the moment, um, having a calm mind, smart mind, which is one of the mantras that today's guest learned, um, it's all there, and I am so excited to share this with you. There are lessons learned. There's adversity faced. There's just the incredible power of teamwork and the incredible power of solid leadership along with positivity and a world first, um, something that people had deemed impossible. In fact, the project itself is called the Impossible Row. <laughs> and these guys, um, between December 13th and ending on Christmas Day, December 25th, they proved that this row was possible um and it's awesome man if you if you haven't gone on you can go on youtube type in impossible row discovery channel did a whole bunch of mini kind of short episodes while this adventure was going on and i was a huge geek about it i got my family interested we watched it pretty much every day or every other day whenever they released an episode and this is one of those expeditions that just completely captured my imagination and fascinated me. Um, like I said, there are six amazing athletes. We get into each one in the podcast, but today I'm sitting down with John Peterson. And I related to John Peterson because John Peterson is a fellow educator. He's an elementary school principal. He's a fellow dad, a fellow husband, and he's just like a guy who had a chance for this once in a lifetime adventure and he went all in and it's so incredibly impressive and John just does a great job in this show painting the picture I mean no one else on earth will ever experience what it's like to row across the Drake Passage and to hear this tale from his perspective from the perspective of a guy who had never done anything like this. Um, it is so inspiring. And, and it's something that I really draw a lot of energy from uh, whenever I hear about or, or get to kind of follow along um, when people are totally stepping outside their comfort zone and taking on something that 
is just completely incredible. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. Uh, this is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 181 with the absolutely phenomenal John Peterson of The Impossible Row. All right, guys, I'm here with John Peterson. And first of all, John, I got to say, like, biggest congrats of all time. Um, not just for the guts to, like, sign up for this thing, but for the tenacity and the focus that, I mean, I got to imagine it took to uh, to achieve. So you you finished this thing called The Impossible Row on December 25th. And, uh, and I was a huge nerd the whole entire time. Like, me and my kids... <laughs> Almost every day we'd get on YouTube and watch the little like five minute short films they were putting out on you guys. And I just remember there was a point, I think towards probably towards the end of it, like coming home from school, my daughter just looked at me like I'd forgot something. I was like, what did I forget? She's like, we got to see the guys going to Antarctica. And I was like, whoa, we do. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah man, welcome. Uh, well, thanks, thanks for having me on, uh, Chris. Excited to talk to you about about it. I'm glad that your, um, your kids really enjoyed it. Um, I actually, it, it's been fun to come back to school. I'm a principal of an elementary school in, in Oakland and all the kids at my school also watched it. And when I came back, they're like, you're alive. <laughs> uh, and I was like, that's, you know, that's a nice thing to say. Thank you. Yes, I am alive. Uh, and, uh, very happy to be so. Um, but it's uh, it's awesome to hear that there's there's folks out there that were inspired by the story. Yeah, well, and I thought I actually thought this was kind of interesting. Like, and one of the reasons I definitely I reached out to you is because I'm a teacher, and as soon as I heard about this guy who's a dad, who's a full time working principal, um, taking on this like epic adventure, I was like, man, I gotta. I got to hear more. Um, so what besides just like, whoa, you're alive. What was like some of the other reactions uh, from your students? Yeah, I mean, I think kids, um, kids, kids are just sort of amazed by the fact that I was on TV. Uh, and I think that that in and of itself was a was a kind of a novelty. There literally one a lot of kids as they I stand at the front door every morning when kids walk into the building and um, uh, the, the, the best line was, uh, was definitely like glad you're alive um, in the first, you know, first time seeing kids back. But I've been on a, uh, a speaking tour around classrooms and uh, one of the best parts is the big orange suits that you probably saw as where um, the safety suits that would help keep us alive in the really cold water. Uh, I brought those in for the kids to to try on um, and just watching them struggle to get on that, that safety suit uh, has been pretty funny. And it's, it also is just a reminder that, you know, we had two six foot three, 200 pound guys in a really tiny cabin struggling to, to put those on too. And uh, um, it, it's just been, it's been fun to watch them uh, get really excited about something that, uh, they had maybe never seen before or understood um, in the world of, of rowing or even ocean rowing, which I hadn't really even known that much about before I started uh, the trip, too. So we've had a lot of opportunities to talk um, and answer questions. Um, and, you know, I get great questions from second graders. Um, <laughs> so we we are uh, I'm on the I guess what I would call it. Yeah, the speaking the speaking circuit at, at Bridge. 
um what when you're trying to describe like how you put those things on in such a tiny cabin like i guess that's probably something a second grader doesn't even think about where you're like never mind rowing to antarctica but like try to try to get this these clothes on in like the tiniest space like i don't know is there kind of like little things like that that they they haven't really thought about or they haven't you know that you try to help them comprehend that like went into this thing I think, yeah, I mean, it's putting on the orange suit and then uh, trying to explain the struggle to kids. I, I think when, when, we're, when, when, I, when I'm saying to them, yeah, this is, you know, we'd be sitting in a 40-foot wave and we're trying to put on our orange suit so we could be safe. Um, the room kind of has crickets because <laughs> they're like, wait, 40-foot wave? Um, and I think actually most people that I've talked to so far say that are, um, there's not a lot of words that you can say to really understand what the, what that actually could feel like or mean. I think when you're in, in it, uh, you know, you don't really realize how, uh, potentially dangerous it is because your, your brain just, in order for you to survive, your brain has to think about really small details. Um, and so your question is about the orange suits, but I think we all, practice, for example, getting the orange suits on. And the first time I put that orange suit on, I, it actually, the, the, it's like putting on a wetsuit. Uh, and the, the neck piece is so tight that it strips some skin off the top of my forehead. Like my forehead was bleeding literally the first time I put that suit on because you want it to be really tight so no water can get in it. Um, and so I think kids also experience that struggle. You know, I'm much bigger than them, but even they, they had a really hard time getting this uh, a really tiny neck piece over the top of their head and, and putting it on. And it was kind of fun to watch um, everybody sitting in their seats. And then once you're a kid sitting in there struggling for more than a minute, trying to get this thing over their head, everybody starts to move forward and come to the carpet and, and sort of enjoy the, the struggle that, that, that they're watching. So I think going back to your question about appreciating the, the challenge, um, I think it's, I think even for me, having having only been back now since since January fourth, uh, um, I think I'm even still in a place of of trying to appreciate appreciate the challenge that we went through. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a scene in the uh, a scene. There's a there's like a clip in your uh, the YouTube short film series that is focused on you, and you're sitting out there, and you're all alone, kind of on the the deck of the boat. And this giant wave just hits you and you kind of describe it as like, hey, I was just in there eating my oatmeal. This giant life-threatening wave hits me and then I just keep eating oatmeal like, whatever, I guess we're used to this thing. Like, this is real life now. Like, can you kind of speak yeah, to just, that a little bit? <laughs> just out there eating your damn granola. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it is true. I mean, I think going back to my point about uh, something I really believe in, this is, I think, true. Probably a lot of your listeners who are, who are distance athletes would, would say this and have probably experienced this, but when your body is essentially in a place that is at max fatigue, your brain is in a place that's at max capacity of, of willingness to keep going. You have to really hone in on, on small details and little things, um, to be able to, to continue. And so, yeah, there's a 30-foot wave breaking over the top of the boat. The water is two degrees Celsius. Uh, your brain can go to a lot of different places in that moment. But I think what 
allows you to stay focused is staying focused on the small details. The most important thing for me to be doing in that moment was eating, refueling with the granola. Um, and we had, we had a ton of different food options which I can get into, but the, the food we were eating was, um, was from Mountain House, one of our sponsors. And they had this granola pack that, that had blueberries and uh, kind of like a, I don't, it was probably some type of whole milk powder. And when you, when you mixed it up, uh, you could eat it cold or hot. It was, it was actually like a really nice outdoor treat. Um, at least that's what, what I told my brain. So like little things like that where you're like, this is a really nice moment where I'm actually not having to row and I get to eat some, some really delicious uh, granola that I'm going to pretend is actually like some type of ice cream. And, uh, oh, yeah, 30-foot wave just came over the top of the boat. No big deal. Um, your safety line is on. Your, your life jacket is on. you got your safety suit on. All the things that you need, all your gear is in shape. Um, so nothing, nothing's going to happen. Just, just kick back and enjoy this, you know, 90 minutes of, um, of getting tossed and turned in the water, like a little tiny, uh, rubber ducky in a very giant, um, washing machine. I think, you know, that, that kind of mindset of, of small details and, and making sure that you're focused on directly what's directly in front of you, rather than thinking about all the possibilities of what if is, is, is what allowed me to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you uh, talk a little bit about the Drake passage itself? Um, so I've been a huge Antarctica nerd for a while and there's just something about that passage that just completely captures the imagination. Like, was it, did it live up to your expectations of how crazy it was? I think we had a phrase that was the Drake never lets you go. Um, and this is, this was true all the way up until, um, you know, the very, the very, very end where, uh, where we're coming, uh, coming across the, um, the final stretch, the final, final 70 miles and heading into, heading into the, uh, into the, the Antarctic peninsula. Um, you're just constantly, you're constantly at battle. Um, and the Drake is always going to win every single battle, 10 out of 10 times. And so really you're, you're kind of at the whim of a 40 knot winds. You're at the whim of a, uh, 15 knot current. You're at the whim of a 40 foot wave. And, um, the best that you can do is continue to just kind of push through and, and hope for the best. Um, one thing I think I would say three things about it. Um, one thing I heard one of the scientists talk about was you got to go through hell to get to heaven. And, I think that I think that was absolutely true. Once we got to Antarctica, um, it was pretty magical. There was penguins jumping out of the water, uh, like dolphins and whales and um, just seals, all the different types of animals you can imagine. Huge icebergs up to thirty stories high, uh, just charging past us, not thirty to forty feet away, which is pretty intimidating. Um, and it's just such a, it, it's almost indescribable. You can't even, you can't even describe it until you actually experience it. But there's the wildlife in Antarctica is amazing. Um, and we were able to, uh, to just experience it from a very unique perspective, being six inches off the water in a, a craft that, that wasn't using a motor. And I think the animals were just as interested in us as we were in them once we had, had made it there. Yeah. Um, there was, there was another moment where, um, we crossed the 60th parallel and the 60th parallel is 
uh, and th- I didn't learn this until the trip, but um, sailors call it the screaming 60s. And the reason for that is as you cross the 60th parallel, the water temperature drops from 6 degrees Celsius to 2 degrees Celsius, if not freezing. And, um, at, you know, at that temperature, essentially your body can last from two to five minutes. And after two to five minutes of being in that water, then, uh, then you can die. And so they call it the screaming sixties because the weather's super unpredictable. The, uh, the water is obviously uh, very deadly and, um, you're on top of this, you know, for us, we were on top of this little tiny boat heading into the most dangerous stretch of the trip. Um, but it also marked for us about the halfway point and, we at that time had been lucky enough to have some really great weather. Uh, I would say if, if I were to look back on the trip, it's probably one of the most memorable parts of the rowing because we, uh, my crewmates who were in my, um, in my shift, Andrew town, uh, who I rode with in college and, and new in college. And then Fionn Paul, who was the captain of the boat, um, the three of us were in the same shift and we were rowing really well. And, and if, you know, for, for people who are listening, who've been rowers or people who have watched rowing before, uh, a big element of it is, is being in sync and rowing at the same time, uh, getting your oars in the water at the same time, pulling at the same time, finishing at the same time. Um, and that being in sync allows the boat to just move much more smoothly through the water. And we were experiencing just this beautiful sunset um the sunsets forever by the way down in the southern hemisphere in the summer so you're basically chasing the sun the entire day it doesn't get dark very often um, or for very long um but just a beautiful sunset probably 8 p.m uh i wouldn't call it glassy water i would probably call i mean looking back we probably had two to three to six foot waves but (laughs) it felt glassy to us after rowing through some crazy storms and uh, and just really rowing well with Andrew and Fion, and we crossed the 60th parallel. Um, right as we were crossing these three orcas, huge orcas, um, just trailed us side by side, and dove right underneath the boat. And it was it was almost like a religious experience. Um, they were like the, the customs officials for the 60th parallel, just making checking us out and making sure that we were we were okay. We actually were like, do orcas eat people? <laughs> you know, feeling a little nervous about these huge whales uh, following us. But it was a pretty magical moment and something I'll definitely never forget. Wow. And I can't imagine many other people on Earth have experienced that. Definitely not in the way that we did. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's there's been, there's I'm sure there's been others on the Drake who, who in fact, we met people um, on our trip who are just essentially they came to Antarctica one time and then all of a sudden that was their career is just shepherding people back and forth across. Uh, it's just one of those places I think that draws you in and um, and for some people never let you go. Yeah. So you're going to develop a elementary school in Antarctica, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as I can fly there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you have to row. I'm sorry. <laughs> have to row there. Yeah, that's part of the training of uh, you get a year year on the water to make it to the school. <laughs> um, can you kind of talk? So you you did this with five other guys. I mean, you can look them up. They've done some incredible stuff. So can you kind of you know talk speak to about them a little bit? Um, because 
each one of them by themselves is just an incredible, insane adventure athlete, you know? I feel like, um, you know, I think Jamie said this, Jamie Douglas Hamilton, who was one of the rowers, uh, said this in his reflection that we became a band of brothers. And I I truly believe that um, perhaps it was the, the fact that we were just encountering some of the most you know, dangerous circumstances that, that we had ever faced. Um, I think that the trip required us to work as a team uh, and it demanded it and our lives depended on it. And I think we all knew that. And um, me personally, I'm a huge believer in teamwork. I think it, it's what makes the school su- successful. I think it's what makes a, an athletic team successful. Um, it's what makes uh, an organization successful. I think at the end of the day, the, 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 the team that you're on is, is what's going to carry you through and, and leveraging everybody's strengths. And we spent a lot of time before we left um, talking about, you know, what are, what are some of the norms that we want to have um, out there when, when stuff really, really gets tough? Uh, we had a lot of conversations for, for the week before we left about taking care of each other. What does that look like? Um, assuming best intentions, what does that look like? Um, you know, making it work by working together. What does that actually look like going into detail? Um, and yeah, the guys who, who were on the trip, they had a ton of, of different experiences that, that definitely um, allowed them to leverage their strengths to, to make this thing successful. So um, to, to kind of go through who was on it with us, um, uh, sleeping in the bow with me every day was Andrew Town. Andrew um, is currently lives in Minnesota um, from from North Dakota, and uh, he was somebody who. Well, what has he done? I mean, he's won a national championship uh, at Yale University in rowing. He uh, also won a national championship running in cross country at Penn uh, after uh, after college when he was a graduate student. He has. Uh, summited all seven summits uh, in the world. Um, and um, so he has a, a long list of accomplishments. And, and I would say, you know, that's not his day job. He is a, a, a consultant business person living in Minnesota. Um, and then somebody who wants to tackle some of the greatest challenges out there. Um, I've known Andrew a long time. And, and Andrew is actually the first person who called me to, to potentially join this trip. Um, I knew Andrew was a little nuts, so when he called me, I was like, I don't know, Andrew, but after thinking about it a little bit more and realizing that I was equally as nuts, uh, <laughs> decided that, that maybe maybe I would join on. Those um, are the best kind of friends. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 we I think we definitely got um, really close over that time and, and close in ways that, you know, physically close uh, <laughs> after the first first 90 minutes of rowing, we realized that it was just going to be way too cold to each have our own individual sleeping bag and decided uh, right off the bat that we would just jump into a uh, sleeping bag together, um, which we did the rest of the trip to stay warm. Um, the other guy in our shift, uh, Fian Paul, he is uh, from Iceland. He's Icelandic. And he is um, he is now the first person to cross every, every major ocean in the world. Um, so he has a ton of ocean rowing experience. Um, he initially um, thought about this idea of, of crossing the passage and then, um, and then had, had brought others into the, 
into the fold to, to make it happen. Um, that ultimately I think, uh, bringing on, um, Colin O'Brady, uh, was one of the, the, the greatest elements of the entire trip, um, or the entire expedition because Colin, um, was just instrumental in, in making sure that, um, the, the idea actually became, became reality. Um, and Colin himself has done just some really amazing things, including, uh, the, probably the most, the one he's most famous for, which is, is crossing the, um, uh, crossing Antarctica on foot, um, unsupported and, and by himself. Um, Colin, when we were out there on the water, you know, he was just, he's just a really positive guy. And, um, he is somebody who, uh, I just appreciated his positivity in the way that he, uh, in the most challenging situations would be, um, lifting everybody else up. I think it helped us a lot. Uh, I know it helped me a lot. There were a couple of moments that I can talk about, um, later about some of those moments that he really lifted me up. But Colin, um, Colin's just super positive. And I think that one thing he said uh, oftentimes that I thought was that I actually would use as a, as a mantra sometimes. And I felt really afraid was, um, just calm mind, smart mind. And it made a ton of sense. Cause if you were, if you were, if your brain was, was racing, you're thinking about all the, the potentially bad things that are happening. Um, I would use that phrase. And he said that a lot. And it made, to me, it just made a ton of sense um, out there on the water. Calm mind, smart mind. So the, the decisions that you're making um, were rational and smart. For example, jumping out of the hatch uh, in a 25, 30-foot swell, you want to make sure that the first thing you do is clip your safety line on one of the um, – clip your uh, life jacket safety line onto one of the boat safety lines. Um, definitely the most dangerous part of, of exiting uh, or of the whole trip is, is that moment where you're not attached to anything in, in rough seas. Um, and that's a, that's a moment to say calm mind, smart mind, you know, take care of that little, not, not so little in, in the, in the regards of um, your life on the line, but take care of this, this, this task first so that your, your, your body will be safe. Um, those are moments that, that Colin certainly helped me. Um, so Colin O'Brady uh, was was just such an instrumental part in making sure uh, this trip happened, and um, I feel lucky to have done it with him and, and call him a friend. Yeah. Um, I who uh, Cam. Um, so Cameron Bellamy is uh, from South Africa. Um, Cameron is known in many parts of the world as one of the um, most famous ultra swimmers. Uh, so Cam- Cameron has set the world record for swimming around the island of Barbados. Um, he also recently swam to St. Lucia, uh, which was a 165 kilometer swim. Took him, I think, close to 57 hours to do it. That is um, mind blowing. <laughs> it, it really is. And Cameron himself was also a pretty decorated rower um, before getting into swimming. Um, I think he comes from a uh, a family of of sailors and and people who spent a lot of time on the water um and his dad and and mom alike so um cameron is uh he's just a beast he he is i, I would call him I, I called him the metronome um because he was he was the stroke for the shift outside of my outside of our shift uh and he just he just would set a really really steady rhythm and it never wavered he was probably the guy that was pulling the hardest the entire trip. 
Um, and he was built for it. I mean, he's just a big guy. Um, and so sleeping next to him was never an easy thing. <laughs> uh, but Cameron, you know, Cameron, um, is just very, uh, mild mannered, understated, uh, and just gets the job done. Um, and just really loved having him also on the trip. He, he was somebody who had a ton of experience. He had also crossed the Indian ocean, um, with Sion and Jamie. Um, and Cameron had, uh, I think that took them close to 60 days as well when they crossed the Indian ocean and having done that, um, you know, Cameron had a ton of experience then in ocean rowing and, um, he wasn't afraid to, to kind of be vulnerable and say, yeah, I was, I was scared, uh, which definitely made me scared before leaving on the trip. Um, but then, you know, he would, he would also just be really reassuring, like, your brain is going to tell you that this is crazy, that you can't do it. Um, but, but just keep going cause you can, and we will. Um, and I think that that positive mindset and, and sense of positivity from Cameron was, was something that really, really carried our team yeah. too. Well, and I have to think like the openness with, uh, with, you know, admitting that you're, that you've been scared and the openness about those feelings is important, you know, because I, I don't think, I couldn't imagine if you were out there and everyone's like, no, you shouldn't be scared. Like, I'm not scared. Like if they were lying about that, it, it probably would make it a scarier endeavor. I have to imagine. Definitely. And I think, you know, I've, I've watched the, now I've been, haven't been back. I've watched the discovery episodes too. And, and watching it, I was like, damn, I thought I was scared a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it's, I mean, it's because I was, um, I was scared and I also knew, you know, what I had to lose. Um, and so I think that, you know, for me, it, we go into this too, but for me, that probably was the most difficult mental, mental aspect of it all. Um, but the last guy also, um, is, is Jamie, um, Douglas Hamilton, who's, who's Scottish and, um, Jamie is, he also crossed the Indian ocean with Cameron and Tian, uh, and Jamie so I'll tell this story about Jamie and I think this will give you a sense of who he is. Jamie and I were switching on a shift and the first storm we were in probably 30 foot swells, 30 knot wind pushing us uh, at some point in those swells, we got up to 14 knots in our boat, which on average in any kind of flat condition, that boat is moving three knots. So we were cruising, um, almost surfing the waves. And, uh, I, so here, here I go saying it. I was terrified uh, in that first storm, and uh, there was a moment where I remember turning to Andrew and saying, "Like, I don't know if I can go back out there." Uh, and Andrew was saying, "Hey, man, you know these guys just did a 90, 90 minute shift. We got to like they need their rest. We got to go back out. So, you know, we're putting on our life jackets, putting our boots back on, getting our safety suit back on, getting ready to go back out. I open up the door." I'm in my head. I'm saying, Oh my God, this 30 foot wave is about to crash down on our boat. And Jamie <laughs> looks at me and goes, this is awesome. <laughs> and you know, just that it just completely changed my mindset in that moment. Um, here I am feeling like, uh, we're at death's door and, and Jamie is looking me in the eye and, and, and literally having the time of his life. Um, <laughs> He's a bit of a Scottish nut. What can I say? Uh, but just such a good guy and such a great teammate. And I think, you know, if we're going to get into lessons learned later, I think 
the power of positivity and the power of, of teamwork, you know, those are the things that, that continuously carry us through. And there were just so many small moments like that from Andrew and Colin, uh, from Jamie and Cameron and Fionn that, that I know I felt from them and felt like they really cared about me and making sure that I made it home safe. Um, and I'm sure they probably could speak to, to many different experiences that they had um, that I don't remember too. So the six guys, while super um, accomplished, decorated, uh, I'm sure will continue to be accomplished and decorated in, in whatever they choose to do. Um, we're just great teammates um, on that trip. And, um, you know, I'll never forget them forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned uh, Andrew calling you up. Uh, is that what led you to the adventure? And and like, what was your family's reaction and everything when you were like, hey, so like when like you floated the idea out there, you're like, hey, uh, there's this thing that my buddy's doing, you know, <laughs> the the genesis for me was uh, it was de- December 26th um 20 what would that be 2018 and i call i read i was down in los angeles visiting my sister with sarah and and mariana my daughter uh and i read an article in the new york times that day about colin o'brady and colin and i were both we were actually uh classmates um at yale university and uh he was uh, a swimmer and i was a rower so i knew who colin was uh, i didn't have a I didn't know him very well in college, but I knew who he was. And I was like, wow, that's a, like incredible. I can't believe that, you know, he did this. Um, what an amazing feat. He just crossed Antarctica on foot. Um, and then literally got an email that day from Andrew town, uh, saying, Hey, I am looking for a rower possibly interested in this trip. He didn't say what it was, when it was, when it, where it was going to be. But then from there, um, we started talking and, and I decided to, to join on. Um, so in some ways it kind of came full circle that then Colin also was a member of the team and, um, and you know, it was, was instrumental in making sure that the trip actually became a reality for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the, what was the kind of the reaction you were getting from like coworkers or family or, or anything like that? Oh, family reaction. Yeah. Family reaction. <laughs> Sorry. I forgot that, that question. Um, <laughs> What do you think my family's reaction was? They were, uh, they were like, wait, what? What are you going to do? I think um, everybody, I, I think, oh, so I'll, I'll start with Sarah, who obviously in, in a lot of ways was on this trip with me, um, especially having to be a, a single mom for a month while I was gone. And on top of that, having the, the just constant stress of, not knowing what would happen to me the next day or even in the next hour. Um, I was desperate to get home to them while I was out there. And I'm sure she also felt desperate and we've talked about it a little bit, but her initial reaction, (laughs) the first thing she said to me was when we got married, I knew you would ask me to do something like this in the first five to 10 years of us getting married. So I guess here it is. And don't ever ask me to do something like this again. was essentially what she said to me. And, um, I think, you know, my, my sort of more extended family, uh, it, there were mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, I was the only person in the boat with a kid. Um, and so I think, you know, you, 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 you brought this to my attention before we started talking in, in your, in your,
your questions, but um, balancing a, a kid, a full-time job, and taking on something that uh, was potentially going to end my life um, that I didn't necessarily need to do just caused and created a ton of stress. Um, and I think the way that we managed it is we tried to stay in our routine as much as possible up until even the very last day. Um, and you know, I think, I think my family felt a ton of stress, my obviously Sarah Mari, but then my sister, my parents, um, everybody who was, was, who, who I know very closely and love very dearly and have moved back to the Bay area to be near nearby. Um, I think all of them are rooting me on, but, but terrified, um, and probably terrified in the same way that I was. Yeah. The, the hardest, the hardest moment for me out on the water, um, the hardest moments were we, we were lucky enough to be sponsored by this company called Iridium and they have just really awesome, uh, satellite phone capabilities. And so essentially we could call to anyone at any time, anywhere, uh, if we wanted to. And there were moments where it wasn't possible, but essentially the entire trip, if we wanted to make a call and needed to make a call, we could. Um, and so I would call Sarah and say, Hey, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? Um, and she'd be like, Oh, Mari, sorry, I got to put the phone down. Mari's running away in her diaper. Oh, we're about to sit down and eat dinner with my parents. Um, and just taking my brain out of, and, and, and on the flip side, I'm sitting and usually when I called, it was because we were sitting in a big storm and in my brain, I'm thinking, I'm making this call because this might be the last time I ever talk to you. Wow. That's terrifying. And, yeah. And Sarah, you know, I couldn't obviously say that to her cause I didn't want to freak her out. Yeah. Uh, but in my head, that's what I was thinking. And then also I would be just sort of thrust into the reality of what it would, was like back at home. Um, and going back to this idea around focusing on details to, to make it through, um, it just, it just completely threw me off my, my focus, um, and in a way that, uh, it, it took me time, uh, to mentally get myself back into the boat, uh, to be able to continue. And I think, um, those were the hardest moments for me out on the water. The moments where we were in storms, I called home. And then once that call was done, realized that I actually was nowhere near being back home. And, um, I was the idiot who even decided to do this in the first place, <laughs> yeah. uh, and was regretting, regretting the choice, honestly. Uh, but there was no way off, no way out. Uh, the only way forward was to continue with the team. So those were definitely the hardest moments for me. The couple of calls that I made to Sarah and, um, and feeling like I had to refocus, refocus my brain to, to continue on. Yeah. What, what's the thing that drove you to do it then? Like, obviously there's something that, that pushed you forward and pushed you into this adventure. Like some, it has to be some sort of like deep down, like, I don't know. Cause I feel it too, to a lesser extent, <laughs> admittedly. Um, but like the drive for adventure is there and you have to balance it. And there's like this fine line to walk with like being a dad. But then for me anyways, it's like, I want to show my kids what is possible and that adventure is out there and to pursue it because of all the amazing benefits that it brings to someone's life. 
But at the same time, there's like, you know, there's the fine line of like, okay, like in your mind, you're like, is this a responsible thing that I'm doing? And I know you guys, especially you had a lot of really like incredible safety things in play, um, you know, but there is that line still. The line was definitely there. Uh, we did have a lot of uh, really great safety measures in place um, that I can talk about as well. Uh, some of those safety things included, um, you know, one of the things that, that was really underestimated, and I, I can, I'll answer your, your bigger question too, Chris, about why, why do this. Um, but one of the, the really, I, I think one thing that really, so I'll say this, safety is the first thing that anybody should think about if they're going to attempt something yeah. uh, like crossing the ocean. And um, the thing that I, I think one of the most important aspects, is it, it probably isn't going to be talked about a lot or, or maybe even highlighted, but um, something that we did was we did a, a practice row in Scotland. And uh, in the practice row, we realized that the, the dagger board, which sits, sits below the, the line of the water and essentially keeps you uh, upright um, in when waves come at you from the side uh, was fiberglass. And Jamie, who had crossed the Indian Ocean, said, if we don't have a metal da uh, dagger board um, in the Drake, the fiberglass one is going to break and we're going to flip. And so Jamie really pushed. And then Colin um, was amazing and was able to get the boat outfitted with this just heavy-duty dagger board, um, probably 50, 60 pounds to lift up. It was just a, a really, really heavy piece of metal um, and had it installed. And I, I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that that, that, one, that one move of many, many, many moves saved our lives multiple times. Yeah. And we would hear, we would be sitting in these storms, um, and when we were in the bow cabin, you know, we're, we're in there trying to sleep, and you would hear as the waves rolled through, the really big waves, the boat would hum, and it would hum because that metal dagger board was essentially vibrating uh, against the side of the boat as the waves were pushing us to, to capsize. Um, and you would just hear this over and over and over again, which, um, you know, could start to make your mind, drive your mind a little bit crazy. Luckily, we were extremely tired, so we'd fall asleep. But I remember listening to that hum and thinking, those are some big waves out there. Um, just ignore it and fall asleep because you need to sleep. Um, but to your larger question about why why jump into something like this, I think for me it was it was an opportunity that I didn't feel like I would ever get again. Um, I'm 35. I have a baby. Uh, I have a career that I really love, and I know that the challenges of all of those things are going to continue to just get even more challenging. I'd like to have more kids. I'd like to continue in my career. And I know the time demands are tough. Um, I didn't think this was going to come around again. I also, I also had a bit of a, a competitive um, chip on my shoulder from day, going all the way back to high school when I was, uh, I, I tried out for the, the junior national team was um, made it all to all the way to the very end of selection camp and was cut um, a couple days before the team went to Greece and won a silver medal. Um, and, you know, I, I went to college kind of feeling a little bit of a chip on my shoulder from that. And then in college, um, you know, we finished, we finished second in the country in, a, in the race that I was in. Uh, 
but it wasn't first. And I think, you know, I left, I left with a, just a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about that. Um, and then, uh, you know, after college, I, I was, <laughs> I was teaching and I was also attempting to, um, skull out of the Potomac boathouse and a skull is a, a, a single, um, a single rower on the Potomac river. And I was attempting to, to work out with some of the guys there who were also working out to, to try out for the national team. And, um, and I was essentially, I, I remember I bought a, I bought a bike from Walmart. Uh, that bike would carry me back and forth between my school and the boathouse, which is like a six mile bike. Um, after the third day of buying that bike, I stripped out the gears and I'd have to hold my fingers on the gears to essentially like <laughs> ride that bike. But after a few years of waking up at 4am rowing, going and teaching all day, then going back and rowing again, um, I was just kind of like, I can't, this is, is not sustainable, especially a lot of the other guys were, were living at the boathouse or near it and doing that full time. So for me, it was almost like the third, the third trip on my shoulder of, there was this thing that I really wanted to do, but didn't quite make it. Um, and I, I not, I don't, I don't think I had any regret in that way, but just, uh, you know, just the, the, just the itch in the back of your throat, um, that I always wanted to go back and, and, and do something else in rowing. And, and when I saw that, when I was really lucky enough to even be considered for this opportunity, um, just jumped on it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really interested. So I teach a leadership class at my school also. And, you know, so speaking of me being a complete nerd about this whole expedition, uh, I think it was before Christmas break, I showed them some of the videos. Not the one where yeah. uh, where where Cameron jumped off naked into the, into the ocean, I must say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, and, and so I want to ask, because we had this whole discussion about teamwork and and leadership and and all that and you mentioned earlier leveraging everyone's strengths so what what kind of strengths do you like when you talked about this and you broke it down you had these really open conversations before the event what kind of strengths were you bringing to the to the table um for me i think that uh it's hmm, a good question I would say three different things. I and, I and I would relate this back to being an educator, um, but I think this could probably apply to, to anybody uh, who is in a leadership role, that there were three things that I knew were going to be true that were going to carry us through. And maybe these weren't my strengths, but they were my definitely my beliefs. Um, one was just a strong commitment to teamwork. I knew that working together was going to be the, the thing that carried us through. Um, and I also knew an aspect of that was making sure that everybody had a clear sense of what their purpose was, not necessarily like, why are you here? But what is your role in making sure that we make it through? So almost like a, a, in thinking about delegation. Um, and I think Andrew was really instrumental in, in kind of organizing us around, around certain ideas when we had these types of conversations. Um, but I think that for me personally, just a, a deep belief in, in teamwork and the, the, the need to have vulnerable conversations and honest conversations about things that were going to make us successful um, was really important. Um, I think that also I have an awareness of how my actions impact others. 
Um, I think that this is true, um, especially as a, as a school leader. Um, you know, I have always worked in uh, really under-resourced neighborhoods, and um, I'm a white guy leading in a school of community of color. Um, and so I think for number one there, like your own cultural competence has to be, you have to have a high, um, high cultural competence and have to continuously uh, push yourself to understand how your, um, your identity has impact on, on others. Um, but I also think another sense of that or another aspect of that in terms of awareness is um, knowing, knowing the mood or knowing the, the, what, what needs to be said in the right moment to, to motivate or to de-escalate. And um, I think I brought some humor to the trip um, and I think I also understood, uh, some would call this like EQ, but the, the ability to sort of emphasize, um, with others, uh, situations so that then, um, I could help them through that. Um, and then I think a last thing is just a, a really strong attention to detail. Um, I'm actually not a details guy myself. Uh, it's not my, it's not the thing that like, I, I lean on, but I do understand the importance of attention to detail and especially in a situation like this, the importance of, of details in, um, in saving your life. And so for me, um, the little things, uh, the rituals that you had to have that you're required uh, to keep rowing each shift, like applying sunscreen every time, making sure you're eating, making sure you're drinking water, making sure that you get the 62 minutes of rest uh, while you're in the, in the bow. Uh, making sure your gloves come off, making sure that the, those gloves are then resting on your chest um, while you're sleeping so that they warm up. They may not get dry, but at least they'll be warm. Um, making sure that you are uh, putting on cream to attend to blisters that could potentially take you out of the 90 minutes shift. Um, those really small details obviously have big impact. If you're not able to row, then the other guys on the team suffer. Um, so I think that those would be my three, uh, three things that I really, I really believe in and pay attention to. Um, I think a, a strength of mine uh, is in all of that. I think the through line through all of that is positivity. And I just am, I'm an optimistic person. I believe that we can and we will be able to do it if, if we put our minds together and, and work hard. And, um, and I think that has to be true. That positivity has to be the through line for everything that I think that you do in your life. Um, and I, I really don't know an alternative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it makes life be, way easier. That's what I try to tell people. I'm like, if you're positive, life will be much more enjoyable and much easier, you know? Yeah. I mean, to give a, to give a really small example of what that might look like for somebody who's an ultra endurance athlete, somebody who's a, even a new athlete or somebody who's new to jumping on the stationary bike in a class, whatever that might be. Um, you know, this minute that I'm in right now might really, really hurt. My legs are burning. I'm sweating. I've never worked this hard before. Um, but in 30 seconds, I get the instructor just said, I get to take, you know, uh, a, a minute break or, in 30 seconds, I get to take one sip of my water, which is really going to hydrate my body. So just always thinking about what's the pain I'm in right now, whatever's coming in front of me is actually going to be just a little bit better. Um, and I think if you constantly think like that, 
even down to the micro micro minute, which is what we had to do on that row, what I've had to do running marathons, what I've had to do uh, in national championship races. This moment right here that I'm in right now really hurts. Uh, it both mentally and physically, um, but there's going to be positives just beyond this. And you have to constantly just train your mind to think about what those things might be. Yeah. Is that one of the lessons too, that you're going to bring back from the trip? You know, like what, what are some things you, you could share with like fellow educators or fellow parents or like really just like fellow regular human beings? Um, you know, that, that is something that you definitely kind of want to apply to your own life now that you're back. Um, specifically around positivity. Yeah. Or any, like any, what kind of lessons are you, are you going to bring from this thing that you may have not, may not had, uh, have realized before or, or utilized in your life before? Yeah. I think one thing I would say is the ocean strips you bear. Um, and what I mean by that is it, it really tunes out all the things that are swirling around your brain or even physically in front of you. Um, so the thoughts of like, what, you know, what does this one person think of me or how do I, how am I even going to tackle this, you know, paper that I have to write, um, or, uh, all the things that, that kind of give us day-to-day -day anxiety, you know, how am I going to make sure that my kid gets to work, gets to daycare on time? Um, all these things that give us anxiety every single day, um, that, you know, we, what the ocean does, it strips you bare and it, it really just focuses you on the things that are most important. Um, and for me, that really distilled down to my family and my friends and coming back, um, I would call it desperate. I was desperate to get home. I was desperate to see Sarah. I was desperate to see Mari and that desperation really focused my brain and made me feel like, everything that I did was in service of that end goal of getting back to them. And I think that that, that is a lesson um, for a broader lesson, which is you're, there's a lot of different, different elements that are, I think, especially for teachers, especially for our kids, so many different inputs that we receive right now. And um, you really have to be able to prioritize and focus on the thing that's most important. And um, I think that takes some self-work and understanding what is it that, what's the thing that's going to be most important for you, and then how is that going to be impact on have impact on others. For me, the most important thing was was getting home and the impact on me taking care of all the little details that I needed to do, being a great teammate, staying positive. That was going to be the thing that got me home. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's incredible, man. Uh... Which, by the way, I'm just sitting here like completely in awe and just loving everything that you're saying and everything you're mentioning. And I think these lessons are just they're so important for everyone to understand. And I guess my whole thing with the podcast is I want people to go out on adventures. I want people to step outside of their comfort zone because at least to me in my life, like this is where I learn these things. You know, this is where I where I learned these important lessons um, that I can actually apply, like when real life, quote unquote, like gets hard and gets tough. And it's stuff I can like come back to and draw from, uh, you know, and I think someone told me it's like adventure is like adversity training. 
And I was like, I kind of mm. get that because <laughs> life's going to throw you some some major adversity that's going to be completely unexpected at some point. And hopefully you have these solid lessons to kind of like and this solid perspective to come back to. I wanted to ask you a little bit. You mentioned uh, just a couple moments of being lifted up by your teammates. So and you, you mentioned maybe coming back to that. So can we kind of like sort of like conclude the episode by talking about, you know, being lifted up by your team? Sure. I'd love to finish that way. <laughs> uh, I think Andrew, Andrew and I spent the most time together, Andrew town and I, um, and there was a moment where I, I think something that was really incredible about this trip that we all talked about when we were done is we were rowing 90 minutes on 90 minutes off continuous, never stopping, never sleeping more than 60 minutes, um, battling through seasickness, battling through blisters and, chafed feet down to the bone and frostbite and all these just horrible things that were happening to our body. And in all of that, there was never a moment where one guy said, I can't go back out there. I'm not going to row. I'm not going to do this. Every single time that there was a new shift, each person went back out uh, and did their shift. And I think there were definitely a lot of moments where I both publicly and then in my brain said, I don't know if I can go back out there. Um, but I certainly did. And I think I did because I felt motivated by the other guys um, who are also, I know, struggling equally or potentially more. And uh, for me, that was that was like a big driver. And I think our success. So those 90 minutes on 90 minutes off, nobody ever nobody ever once missed a shift. And there was one shift where uh, we wear these scopolamine patches. Uh, to prevent seasickness and well, not all of us, but some of us did who especially hadn't spent as much time on the ocean. Um, I didn't realize mine had fallen off and I started to get sicker and sicker. And Andrew, you know, he was, he was such a great teammate because uh, he was very detail oriented and would be like, Hey, you didn't eat anything, eat something. Or, Hey, you didn't take your gloves off. Like put your gloves off. You got to heat those up. Um, he was just constantly reminding me to take care of myself which I really appreciated. And in this moment where my scopolamine patch had fallen off, now we're six hours in the feeling really seasick. And I'm like, I'm going to throw up. So we go out, it's 1am dark out. Um, and I throw up over the side of the boat. And I remember in that moment, um, Andrew turned around. He's like, Hey, if you need to take some, you know, you want to take 15 minutes off, you want to go back in and lay down, like do it. I, I want to make sure that you're, you know, you're healthy for, later on in the trip. And, um, you know, he wasn't like, Hey man, get, get your hands on your oar. Like, keep going. What, why are you stopping? His response was take care of yourself. It's important. Um, and it could, you know, the frame could have been totally different and it wasn't. And, and it's, it, it showed that he cared. And here I am middle of the night, throwing up over the side of the boat in 20 foot waves, um, trying to make it through. And in that moment too, Colin's like, Hey, I got extra patches. I'm going to get one for you. Uh, don't worry, like you got this. You want me to take your shift for you? Like we got you. Um, and the two guys there, you know, just it, it, there was no way that I wasn't gonna take, wasn't gonna row after the two of them were just so kind. Yeah. And um, and I did finish the shift, and it was one of the hardest shifts that I ever had uh, because I threw up I think three times over the side and just kept rowing. And um, it was also a really powerful moment for me. I, I had a picture of um, of Mari. 
and I had it next to me. And uh, every stroke I took in that entire shift, I said her name every single time for 90 minutes. And it was um, it was the only way that I made it through. But I think I, I potentially wouldn't have even started had it not been for just the really small kindnesses of, of Colin and Andrew um, in that moment. Wow. That's, I think, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think for um, – uh, you know, for the other guys, there were other, you know, other moments that I talked about, I think for, um, you know, Cameron, Cameron was just, he was, he was, like I said before, he was a metronome. He was so steady. Um, and he also was just pretty lighthearted. He didn't, uh, you know, it's like, don't take the good ones too good or the bad ones too bad. He, he was just one of those guys right in the middle. And, um, he was also had a ton of humor and, and would, would joke around a lot. And I think it lifted everybody's spirits. Um, he also was willing to strip naked and jump into 32 degree Fahrenheit water. So <laughs> you know that you've got somebody just a little bit nuts with you on the trip. Um, that helps you feel, feel a little bit better. That was a um, memorable part of the YouTube series. I gotta say, especially watching with my, uh, my five and a half year old. And she's like, what's that guy doing? And I'm like, skip 30 seconds. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, when I got back, my dad was like, I can't believe you didn't jump in too. He's totally <laughs> like, not like you to not follow suit. And I was like, dad, I'm a principal and this is being filmed and, and shown to like, you know, many, many people. There's no way I was going to do it. Also, like at that moment, I was like, there's no way I'm jumping in this water. Yeah. It's, the, um, it's, the, it's Antarctic. Like it's, it's the, yeah, it's freezing cold. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Fionn, Fionn was, uh, just had a lot of, of, of experience and knew, um, knew his way around oceans in general. And I think, um, was just super motivated to, to make the trip happen and also just super motivated to, especially, um, in the end, get across, um, and, and in a lot of ways, carry, um, carry heavy loads for, for the team. He was a really strong rower. Um, and I think he cared a ton about, uh, making sure that this sort of final passage for him um, happened. So um, I think seeing his focus and determination, I, I think, helped all of us too. And then, you know, la lastly, Jamie is just – Jamie is an incredible person. He is somebody who um, I'd want along on any kind of crazy trip that I was going to go. He's somebody that is just he, – he's the guy who is – enjoying surfing down the 40 foot wave as opposed to the guy feeling like he's going to die. Um, and you kind of want somebody like that with you on the trip. And so I, I don't think I will ever forget that moment of coming out into those big swells and, and being like, this is awesome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and having a blast. So, you know, I think every, I think everybody had different moments where they, where their strengths, uh, you know, were shining through. Yeah. Well, I guess I, it would be terrible for me not to even, ask about this so let's end on this one uh what in like one word or one sentence like what did it feel like to finally step onto land after this journey for me pride and relief wow and i think i i was just so so proud of what we did um and also just incredibly relieved that we made it um, and for me, that, that relief was, uh, uh, it was a direct result of feeling like I may not get home to my family. And then I had this moment of like, we made it, I'm going home. We did this. And to be able to, to sit or not really 
to sit to stand on Antarctica with those five other guys um, arm in arm was one of the most powerful moments of my life. Something I I will just just take with me forever. And I think um, I think knowing knowing that it was so so challenging and knowing it was so difficult and feeling like I get to go home and and see Mari and Sarah, um, the desperation sort of uh, went away, and it was just just I think pure joy. That's incredible, man. Well, John, where can people kind of like find more info about the impossible row? I know discovery channel is going to put out like a full length documentary at some point. Um, but, but right now if they want to like, you know, watch the videos or see more or learn more, where can they go? Yeah. If people want to see more, uh, they can definitely go to discovery.com, um, and just type in or, or go to discovery.com slash the impossible row. Um, and you can see all of the, there's 14 videos currently on there. Um, and, uh, there's going to hopefully be a, uh, exciting release later on this year as well. So stay tuned for that. Um, so you can always check out discovery. Um, if you're interested, I'm going to start putting and posting, uh, different unique aspects of, of my view of the trip as well on my Instagram at, uh, at john.r.peterson, uh, Peterson spelled S E N. Um, you can also follow um, all the other guys on their Instagrams as well. Um, Colin O'Brady has an Instagram at Colin O'Brady, uh, C-O-L-I-N-O-B-R-A-D-Y, and you can see all of his adventures there too. Um, awesome. So, yeah, check him out. Um, yeah, I'll make sure to link and, all this stuff see. in the show notes too. So if you're listening to okay. it, like, check those out. Check, like, all of these guys are incredible in their own ways. So definitely something to, like, draw you know, some excellent motivation, inspiration from. Awesome. Yeah. So John, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. This has been one of my favorite episodes of the show. So thank you so much for coming on and, yeah. and sharing all the, all the good times and the, and the, and the fun times as well. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate talking to you too, Chris. And um, thanks for reaching out. Glad we talked. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the show. Um, huge thank you to John. Thank you so much, man. Talking to you was one of the coolest experiences I've been able to have uh, through this podcast. And yeah, it's just what you did was incredible. Um, I can't overstate that. I can't I can't say it enough. Uh, the bravery, the courage and the honesty with yourself like that was the part I actually really, really, really enjoyed. I wrote down a whole bunch of notes while John was talking and my notes kind of look like, uh, the, the, the writings of a crazy person. Cause I just wrote down like phrases here or there, um, that he said, but it's just this idea of being honest with yourself and being honest with your team. And as I kind of become more and more ingrained with this whole idea of leadership, that honesty is so important. It's so important in every aspect of everyone's life. And if you are not being honest with other people and you're not being honest with yourself, it's going to be really, really hard to accomplish what you're setting out to accomplish. And the whole idea of of what is like having the conversation like what does taking care of each other look like in this expedition? 
I think that's something we can all apply. What does it mean to take care of each other? Whether that means in your family or for me as a teacher in your classroom uh, or at work or even, you know, the broader question of, you know, what does it mean to take care of everyone as a society? Um, we need to have these conversations. And, and I just, that's a lesson that I think, you know, John obviously took away, but I think that's something that can be applicable for everyone, along with a billion other things he said, right? I mean, the whole idea of uh, Colin O'Brady telling him calm mind, smart mind, it's something to keep in, it's something that we should keep in the forefront of our minds, especially when you get fearful, when you get scared, when you get nervous. And if you're listening to the show and you're you go out on adventures or you go into the wilderness. There are these moments that are intimidating and being able to stay present and think about the very next thing you need to do in order to get your, get you through whatever the situation is. That is huge, right? If you start, if, if John started thinking about we're in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere on our way to freaking Antarctica, (laughs) And we're in 40 foot waves like that is overwhelming, right? Like that is completely like devastatingly overwhelming. And but for him to think, okay, in this moment, I need to rest. I need to eat my damn granola and I and I need to just wait it out. Or when my team's out here, I need to think about the next uh, stroke and the next stroke and the next stroke and that's how you get there. That's how you actually accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. It's in these little moments, these little actions, and they add up over time. And those are the ones that actually matter the most. And it's something I've always thought of, but it's, and it's kind of a simple idea, but it's something that is easy to forget your little actions or your little inactions and that you know, in the, in the other way, those are the things that add up. Those are the things that matter the absolute most. And when you look back on an adventure that you've had, whether it's just going out and, you know, maybe going for your first mountain bike ride, or maybe it's uh, rowing a boat to Antarctica with five buddies. Um, but when you look back, you can, you think about the accomplishment, you think about the overall thing, right? But you know, that you had to do those little things to get there. And those little things are the moments that stick out and, and really drive you forward and really prove to you what you are capable of accomplishing if you are just focused on those little things. So, um, man, like I said, so cool. Uh, I loved it so much. Please go like right now. I, if you haven't already, you should have, I've been posting about it all week. Um, Go to YouTube, look up The Impossible Row. It'll be, it's funny because it's like, there's probably an hour's worth of footage. And yet even that like can probably barely capture what the experience was actually like for these six guys uh, taking this on. So go there, check it out. Um, It's all on Discovery. Uh, Check out all those guys he mentioned, Fee and Paul, Colin O'Brady, Andrew Town, Cameron Bellamy, and Jamie Douglas Hamilton. Check out their stuff online. They've I've been, I'm, I think I follow all of them on Instagram, um, and they're all posting things um, about the row right now and their reflections. And you know, I always personally think it's cool too. 
you get the reflections the day after you get the reflections during even if you watch the youtube series but then to come back a month later six months later a year later what does this experience mean in the overarching uh the overarching experience of your life and how have you learned from it uh what are some things that you you've changed how did your paradigm shift based off of this crazy adventure you had so please go check those guys out and uh and yeah guys thank you for listening to the show my voice is going right now (laughs) if you can't tell uh i swear every time i get an episode that i'm like super jacked about my voice leaves me which is just a great it's great as a podcast host right (laughs) um But all right, we'll get back at you next week. Thanks again, John. Uh, Appreciate it. You're an amazing guy. And I can't wait to kind of, you know, hear about more adventures and, and all that in the future. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later.